Welcome to the Spirit Guides Network Radio. This is your host, Mark Chatterton speaking. I'll be interviewing Hazel Courtney today. Good evening. I would like to extend a warm welcome to journalist and author Hazel Courtney, who has had seven books published to date. Hazel has written about alternative health subjects for several years now, having written for both the Daily Mail and the Sunday Times. In 1997, she was voted Health Journalist of the Year. Then, the following year, she had what she described as a spiritual emergency or near-death experience. Hazel wrote about this experience in her first spiritual book, Divine Intervention, which was published in 1999. This was followed by her second book in 2005, Evidence for the Sixth Sense, detailing about what, what happened to her next in her life. Finally, in 2010, Hazel has just brought out her latest spiritual book, Countdown to Coherence, which brings the story right up to date with many interviews with scientists and spiritual people who are linking the gap between spirituality and science. So a big warm welcome to Hazel. That's a lovely introduction. Thank you, Mark. That's fine. Right, I'll start off with the first question, um, going back to your spiritual emergency, the experience that you had. Could you describe to the listeners what this involved and what it was like for you? Sure. What happened was I was um, back in April 1998. I was a journalist, a weekly columnist with the Sunday Times with an alternative health column. And I was busy going about my life. And I used to live most of the week in London and part of the week, the weekends, in fact, in Birmingham, which is where my husband's company was at the time based and what happened was I walked into Harrods uh, the world famous store in London on April the 8th 1998 and as I went through the turnstile which used to be in the bread hall it stuck fast and it wouldn't go forward and it wouldn't go back and in those few seconds it was like the only way I can explain it is it was like a volcanic eruption of energy from the base of my toes right up through to the top of my head. And it was as if I thought there was a huge pain, just electrical tremors going through my body um, and this huge pain in my chest and in my head. And within about four seconds, I heard this voice shouting in my head that I knew hadn't come from me, Hazel. And it said, see a doctor now. And so, of course, you know, you you think, crikey, what the hell's going on? And I was so scared because I thought I'd had some massive heart attack or something. So I managed to, and then as that happened, the turnstile, for no apparent reason, moved forward. Um, and I made my way out of the store, and I called my doctor, and he knew I wasn't joking. And, and they were there waiting for me at the doctor's surgery when I got there like 10, 15 minutes later. And I have to say, Mark, if you think that you have only got minutes to live, it really does focus your mind. And when they got me to the doctor, they laid me on the floor immediately. They thought I'd had a massive heart attack or some kind of heart attack. And they put the electrodes on my chest to measure my heartbeat. And um, as as they started playing my heartbeat down the phone to a cardiologist, it was incredible. I realized that I could feel what the doctor was thinking in my head. And when I told him what he was thinking, I'm really not quite sure who was more shocked, him or me. Um, And of course, then I suddenly intuitively knew that my heart was actually fine, uh, which of course the cardiologist later confirmed. And so I I went home and, and the doctor meanwhile called my husband and said he ought to come home straight away. 
and I decided to take myself off to bed. But it was amazing. When I looked in the mirror at our London house, I looked really young, um, which was incredible considering the fright I just had. And my eyes were a different color. They were like an amazing sapphire blue. Um, and when I got on the bed to try and sort of figure out what the hell was going on, I picked up the phone to ring a girlfriend. And then I realized that I was no longer in charge of my physical body because my arm just went into automatic and put the phone back in the cradle, which was rather incredible. And then when my husband came home, he said, what on earth's wrong? And I started blurting out, look into my eyes and you'll know who I am. But of course, I, I didn't know then, Mark, who the I was. And I... I found that I couldn't eat physical food. Um, I know I'm thin, but I love food. I could hear whatever questions I asked. I seemed to get back dozens of answers. Um, and I started losing weight very rapidly. And then by the Easter Friday, I developed an incredible fever that alternated with almost freezing to death. So obviously, I took myself off to bed. And it was at that point that... Um, I just knew I couldn't call my own orthodox doctor. And I spoke to a couple of spiritual friends and they said, whatever you do, just allow it to unfold and make sure you eat sugar um, to ground you. And of course, I didn't know at the time what the hell they were talking about. But um, anyway, then a friend, Dr. Richard Lawrence, suggested that I might be possessed, that I might have had a walk-in. And of course, I just thought he was bonkers, basically. And... Um, I got myself back to Birmingham and, and then on the Easter Saturday, I had an incredible near-death experience with the doctor present when I left my physical body because I'd lost a lot of weight in only three days and I just don't think my body could take any more shocks. Like for instance, you know, my husband would try and turn on the television to take my mind off things, but I was able to look at the television set and I was able to change channels using the power of my mind. And I knew I was pretty much 100% telepathic. I was becoming intensely psychic. I got this spirit voice going on in my head. I mean, I have to tell you, it was very, very surreal. Yeah, it sounds very strange in, in normal terms. It certainly does. But I now, looking back to my mind, what happened was in Harrods was that my Kundalini... I believe that my kundalini energy at the base of my spine actually blew. Yeah. And of course, the veils between this reality and all other realities were lifted. But when that happens spontaneously, as it can do, um, it's, it's quite difficult to cope with, or it can be. So the slower people become enlightened and the more they prepare, then they don't have to go through what I went through. Would you say that before this happened, you were quite interested in spirituality or, you know, had it, was it a complete surprise to you what happened? Well, what had happened was for about five or so, I can't remember exactly how long ago now because obviously it's all quite a while ago, but what happened was the whole thing started years earlier when my next door neighbor died in Birmingham and I went over to say how sorry I was to his wife. She was a virtual stranger to me. And uh, she said, oh, I'm not going to cry because I know I can speak to my husband anytime I like. And I thought the woman needed Valium. And uh, it turned out that she was a spiritualist and that she could hear people who she said had died. And of course, I'd never heard anything about such subjects before. And um, 
she said to me, um, she said, you know, read a book. And she gave me a book called The Little Guidebook by Tony Neat. And I stayed up all that night and read it. And it was like this light went on in my head. And after that, I started meditating. And yes, I'd become interested in spiritual subjects. And about three months before I had my spiritual emergency, in fact, I'd been to Mother Mira in Germany to receive Darshan. Um, do you know what that is? Yes, yeah, sort of special blessing. Uh, yes, when she pulses divine energy through yeah, her eyes into yeah. yours. And when I was with Mother Mira, they said to me, they said, what you need to do is before you go up and kneel before Mother, you need to make a wish as to what you would like to achieve from, you know, the, receiving the blessing. And so I wished for an acceleration in my spiritual growth. So I say to anyone out there listening, be careful what you wish for, because you might get it, but not in the way you thought you were going to get it. So um, obviously, we haven't got time to go into it in too much detail, but you you wrote a book about all this experience called Divine Intervention. I did indeed, yes. what, What was the reaction generally to that, would you say? Um, well, it was mixed, but it kind of destroyed my credibility as um, a journalist because some of the things that I wrote in there were fairly incredible, really. And as Professor Gary Schwartz at the University of Arizona said to me years later, he said, Hazel, it's easy to claim anything you like. He said, you can be claiming to be the reincarnation of whoever, Henry VIII or whatever, you can be claiming to be hearing from specific people in the spirit world. But he said, you have to be able and willing to bring your claims into a lab and do them again under scientific scrutiny. And then we can know whether your experiences were real or not. They were real to me. Do you see what I mean? Yes, I understand. Um, All experience. I mean, I've heard over the last 10 years, I've heard from many people who um, are either levitating or they are giving intense healing, they've had near-death experiences, and spiritual emergency, which is when um, spiritual awakening becomes a physical crisis, is definitely becoming more and more common. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, you said about Gary Schwartz, the, a lot of the, his experiments, you did some experiments which are written about in your second book, Evidence for the Sixth Sense. That's right. Yeah. He, ex- he explained to me that um, what we call matter, which is what you and I and the whole universe is made of, um, is basically 99.999% empty space. And that just because we can't see something, it doesn't mean it's not there. And he explained how we are transformers and receivers of information. And in fact, I've since discovered that about 99% of this physical universe is unseen to us. That sounds pretty amazing. But there are many other levels of reality that people like uh, Professor, uh, uh, he's a physicist, William Tiller in Arizona. He spent 50 years studying matter and consciousness, and they have discovered other levels of reality that they can now measure that they know are there and that when we couple with these other levels of reality we are going to be capable of some amazing things i used to call them my tricks um so yes gary schwartz now says that the evidence that we survive physical death is now so overwhelming um and the body of evidence is not just from him it's from many 
um, august bodies around the world, um, he said it's now up to the sceptics to prove that we don't, in fact, survive. Right. Um, in, in the book Countdown to Coherence, uh, you, could you explain to the listeners what you actually mean by coherence? Well, in the dictionary, coherence is defined as everything coming together as one. Um, but the point is now that scientists in um, Iowa have uh, stated that there is now scientific evidence to show that the brains of truly enlightened men and women um, work as a coherent unit. Um, this means that all parts of the brain become synchronized and that the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain are working as one. And this is known as total brain coherence. And Bill Tiller said to me that in the beginning, everything was totally coherent, which is what God is. In physics, he says, we term this in phase. All things, all levels of energy were one. And that's exactly how I felt when I was in that very heightened state. You feel like you're sitting on a pinhead. And to maintain that total coherence, I can tell you, is very, very difficult. And so this is why in this new book, I've, I've interviewed many, many, many very enlightened people who explain how we can all attain brain coherence and how we can all become more enlightened uh, but safely and slowly. But once your brain starts to become more synchronized, apparently it ramps up something called the thalamus in this, an area in the center of the brain. So the thalamus controls the senses, sight, uh, uh, hearing, touch, smell, and so on. And the point being that in that moment in Harrods, it was like all my senses had been switched up to a 500%. I could hear more, I could smell more, I could see more. And, and, and this, it's not the pineal gland that's the seat of the soul. It's more the thalamus. So that as you become, as your brain becomes more and more coherent, more synchronized, your senses become more heightened. And this is when you develop what they call a sixth sense. You become more intuitive. But as you well know, Mark, you need to learn discernment and you need to learn how to trust that intuition. You need to learn whether it's coming from your ego or whether it's coming from what I call pure coherence, which is what God is. Right. I was going to ask you, um, there's a lot of people who, who are talking about ascension and sort of raising your consciousness and so on. Is Would you say there's any link between coherence and ascension at all? Well, it's really funny. I asked quite a few people that very question. And Dr. Serena Rooney-Dougal, who's a very eminent parapsychologist, I said, what does the word ascension mean to you? And she said, it means new age bullshit, Hazel. So I thought that was rather funny. So it, it's... It's a term that's become very popular. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the point is, the more coherent you become, the more you're able to do more amazing things. But the most important thing is you have to link to the, it's called the magnetic information wave level. You have to link to these other levels of reality. And when and if you can get into this process and become totally coherent, then there could come a point when you are no longer operating in this 
coarse physical dimension. You will still be existing as a field information outside space-time. And to me, that's what ascension means. Because at one point, I began to dematerialize, which I have seen masters do. Um, and it's not that they're no longer there. It's just that they're operating in another reality, on another frequency, on another wavelength. So to my mind, that is more what people might term ascension. Right. Would you say then that you have to go through different stages before you reach coherence? Okay, of course you do, yeah, because yeah. you have to learn coherence in your everyday life. You have to learn to align your ego. You have to put your ego into service for the greater good, to align with God or whatever you think of as being God. Um, and then you have to become more coherent with your thoughts, with your actions. And then you also, at the same time, have to start regular spiritual practices so that over time, your thalamus becomes more sensitive. And then you can, you know, yes, over time, you, you can definitely become enlightened, more coherent. But I'm really keen to say, Mark, and I, I dealt with this a lot in the book, um, I do not invite people to go to the jungles of South America and try ayahuasca because as Professor Velodo said, who is a very experienced scientist and a shaman with 25 years training, he said he only knows about four right masters in um, Peru and in the, in the Amazon who can apply ayahuasca safely. And he said a lot of people go on these spiritual holidays, try ayahuasca, think it's absolutely astonishing, but apparently it can make your energy field very, very unstable and it can lead to a spiritual emergency later on. So and, and many, many young people who are trying crack, ecstasy, cocaine, they are damaging their brains beyond repair and they are triggering spontaneous kundalini awakenings. And of course, they're not prepared. They're, they're having awakenings like I did in a body that's totally not prepared for it. They have, they're not coherent in their diet. They have no um, coherence um, in, in their, oh, sorry, their control of their emotions. Um, whereas masters of self have spent 20, 30, 40 years learning how to integrate all of the gifts that you have access to once you link to total coherence. Right. It, it's quite a, a warning, really, for a lot of younger people who, who would get sucked in there, really, I suppose. Oh, I mean, it, it, I cannot even begin to stress how dangerous it can be. And, and therefore, I think that the reason I had my particular experience, because spontaneous awakenings, I hadn't taken any drugs, but my nerves were shattered. I was exhausted at yeah. the time. Um, and most um, psychiatrists now, people like Stan Groff, who termed the phrase um, spiritual emergency, he's written some brilliant books like The Stormy Search for Self, which helped me a lot during my spiritual emergency. Um, and he's found people that have spiritual emergencies when they're in a very um, a long-term stress situation. Sometimes it happened as in his wife's case when she was giving birth, but that's fairly rare. Um, it can happen during tantric sex, uh, which I definitely wasn't having at the time. Um, and um, so, you know, the, there are many, many uh, different factors at play here. So it's not a subject that you can deal with lightly in like 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, in the book, there's lots of different 
interesting concepts that are discussed. Um, obviously, we haven't got time to discuss them all, but one I was going to ask you is that of, of the orb phenomenon. Uh, I myself have taken many photos in the past few years where orbs have appeared in the shot. Would you say that all orbs are actual spirits or could they just be balls of dust like some skeptics say? Well, I think that when I've done a whole chapter on orbs and I went to the world's first conference on orbs in Sedona and I did a quite a lengthy interview there with um, Professor Klaus Heinemann, who's um, an ex-physicist from NASA. Um, his company, in fact, still do research under contract for NASA. And he is researching orbs and he said these are the most important out of this reality discovery for many, many, many years and possibly centuries. Because he said for eons, we've had anecdotal evidence that the spirit world exists, but he says now we're seeing it. And when I was on the ceiling of my bedroom, looking down, I was outside my physical body, looking down at the doctor and my body, which was an absolute stinking mess below me. I think I became an orb because I was there, I, I, I was totally free, I was no longer in pain, I was no longer suffering, and I wasn't upset or anything, I was just observing it like a movie. And so orbs are very, very, very real phenomena. I've seen them on films, they're appearing on digital cameras all over the world, because digital photography is far more sensitive than the older type uh, cameras, um, the older type of photography. And um, Klaus says that it, it's other realities going about their business. And Dr. Michal Ledwith, who's a theologian, I also talked about orbs, and he was one of the speakers in the film, What the Bleep Do We Know? He said that to say that they're only the spirit world going about their business is an oversimplification. He said that maybe they are ET, maybe they are spirits from other realms and other realities and as I said to you 99.999% even of this physical reality we can't see it with our physical eyes so there's many other frequencies operating all around us all the time but we just don't know it so to my mind orbs are very important and they're very very real and yes I think that some of them are indeed the spirit of our deceased and according to Alberto Veloda, when you die physically, that the information within your seven chakras in your body downloads into an eight chakra that's above your head. And then that orb goes off and you go through the process of being reborn again, if that's what's meant to be. On, an, on another chapter, you, you've visited the Damanhur community in Italy and you interviewed its founder, Falco. Couldn't you envisage similar type communities springing up elsewhere in the world, or do you think that Damanhur is just peculiar to Italy? Well, I think that Damanhur is like, to my mind, Damanhur is like the template of the way we are meant to live in the future. And it was strange because Professor Travis, one of the scientists who explained to me about brain coherence and how they can measure whether someone's enlightened or not, he said that as we grow in coherence, people calls for peace will grow more and more and more. There will be a huge flowering of the arts and people will start caring for each other a lot more without thinking, what's in it for me? Now, I realize that an awful lot of the world doesn't think that way, but there are more and more and more communities that are. 
But at Damanhur, I mean, the way they have built the underground temples there, they're being hailed as the eight wonders of the world. They have married physicality with spirituality, with caring. Their whole motives for doing everything are to serve the whole. Everyone who lives in the community of Damanhur, and it's spread over a huge valley. I mean, there's a thousand people. There's doctors, lawyers, bakers. They've got vineyards. They've got their own supermarkets, their own currency. They've won awards from the UN for the building of their eco-homes. They, I personally believe they also have knowledge of time travel. They have a university there that teaches spiritual physics, which is another whole fascinating subject. Um, and I was just blown away with what they'd achieved there. Now, for me personally, I, I didn't feel that I wanted to go and live there or anything because I've got a husband and a family here in England. But I feel that communities in the future, a lot of people are traveling from around the world to go and look at their homes, to look at the way they live, to look at the way they, you know, that they just live a different life to most of the rest of us. And it's, it was very, very moving to witness. Yes, I noticed that you you actually wrote a, a piece on Damanhur f- as well as Orbs for the that was published in the Daily Mail a few years I back. I did. Would yeah. you would you say that Fleet Street and the media in general are becoming more open to spiritual subjects? Um, I think they will to a point. I think they still find it. I think, as you know, Mark, if people find something threatening or it's um, it upsets the status quo then, you know, you, you have to balance everything out. So, like, right now, this minute, I'm in the middle of writing a, a possible feature on the science of the sixth sense for, for a newspaper, but I won't say which one in case it doesn't appear. Right. Um, but in other words, I, I keep it very grounded. You know, you give them the science, tell them the facts, you tell them one or two stories, like... For instance, there's a marvelous book called The Biology of Belief. Have you heard about that? Yes, I've heard that book. Okay, and there's lots of stories in there by Bruce Lipton showing how when the mind and the body become as one. In other words, spontaneous healing can be explained by total brain coherence. I now know that when you have moments of believing something 100% with your heart and mind that you become coherent, then that message of total coherence, total perfection is automatically communicated to every cell in your body and wham, you can get spontaneous remission. So I know that the mind and body are one and there's plenty of evidence out there, but it's just that a lot of the public aren't aware of it yet. But they will become more so. As as the message spreads. Absolutely, that's all we can do. We're all links in a chain. All we can do is do our bit and, and hope that someone takes notice of it. Right, going back to your book, Countdown to Coherence, you inter- interviewed so many different people. Who would you say had the most impact on you? Oh, my goodness. No, I think that the Bill Tiller, the physicist, blew my mind away when I went to Arizona, when he explained to me how non-physical societies were developed at the level of mind, and he explained how societies like Mew and Lemuria and Atlantis were formed, and how these highly coherent societies then decided, they literally intended a physical universe to be birthed. And when you, 
a lot of people say, don't be ridiculous, you know? Some, a mind could not intend the universe the size of ours to be born. But when you keep in mind that at the time of the Big Bang, which, by the way, wasn't big at all and there was no noise, um, the universe was less than the size of one atom. And you get a million atoms behind one hair on your head. So even people like physicist Michio Kaku in New York say, in, in physics, we now know that it may take a ridiculously small amount of net matter, as little as an ounce, to create a universe such as ours. So when you read facts like that, it sure makes you think. Yes, it's quite amazing, really. Um, one thing I noticed in the book is there seems to be quite a lot of people and uh, learned people in, in America who are doing a lot of research on, on this uh, gap between science and spirituality, but not many people in the UK. Would, would you say that's true? Um, to be honest, I didn't find a lot of people in the UK, but I know that Professor Archie Roy, he's now retired, but... Tricia Robertson um, up at the University of Edinburgh, they've been doing great work on survival of consciousness. And there is some paranormal type, out-of-body, near-death type experiences uh, being researched down on the south coast. I think it's in Exeter and Plymouth universities. But what happened was, because I had been to the Orbs conference and then I met several scientists there, and by a synchronicity I met Michal Ledwith, the theologian who... Again, his chapter blew my mind. There's another one who blew my mind. But um, I, I seem to, you know, I, I went off on this path and I ended up meeting an awful lot of Americans that are way, way ahead of what we're doing here. And so they were the people that were to hand at the time. It seemed to be where the universe was leading me. And so I just went with it. Right. Um, obviously, we've going to run out of time now, but I've just got one final question. Um, Obviously, you've you've just published Countdown to Coherence. Have, have you got any more books or articles oh, in the please, pipeline? Oh, please, Mark, it still took me nearly three years to do that one. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a health book coming out in January, which is 500 pages long. Um, right. That's called The 500 Most Important Health Tips You Ever Need. But, I mean, we're launching Countdown in America in April next year. I'm going around the country and various places doing talks and, and lectures to try and help people understand this whole subject and if anyone wants to look on my website they can see what I'm doing but the trouble is I think that people have no concept as to how much work goes into a book such as this and I, it'll be a while before I do another spiritual one let's no, put it no, that way yeah sure yeah because just got to get this one off the ground, obviously. I think so, yeah. yes. So, and also, it depends on the... I think I really want to say to people, it depends on one's level of consciousness as to how much you can take from this book and how much you can understand it. But there are enormous... There is an enormous amount of really important information in there. And I don't say that from my own ego. I say it from the very, very learned people that I interviewed. For instance, Bill Tiller, when I came back from Arizona, I had 100 pages of notes. I'd recorded him and recorded him and recorded him, and it took me nearly three months to transpose those right. you know, 100 pages of notes into two chapters that the public could even begin to understand because he talks in pure mathematical terms, and I never did a science lesson at school. So I figure if, if, if I can get this anyone can get it.
Right. Well, thank you very much, Hazel, for for the very interesting and informative uh, interview. And we wish you all the best with your book, Countdown to Coherence, and whatever else you get into. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me, Mark. Okay. Thank you very much, Hazel. Thanks. Okay. Bye. All the best. Thanks. To find out more about Hazel Courtney and her latest book, Countdown to Coherence, log in to hazelcourtney.com and do tune in to listen to more podcasts at thespiritguides.co.uk.